Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 94 of the Greenlight Podcast, POC Ephrage. And on this episode, we are joined by Nigel Wright, Director of Global Brand Marketing at New Balance. Nigel, what's up, man? Merry Christmas. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Paul. Yeah. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. Uh, excited to be here. Everything's yeah. good. I think the last time we saw each other was at six in the morning, which we're going to get to <laughs> on, the, on the Upper East Side, probably about 18 months ago. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but but before, but before we get into that, man, we got a fun one for you. Let's jump in. You're a Penn state alum. Uh, what is more likely to happen or what will happen first, a Penn state (laughs) men's or women's basketball national championship or a Penn state football national championship? Oh man. Um, I mean, I'm honestly, I'm a big basketball guy, obviously working in basketball, um, but football definitely has a better chance. I mean, it sucks because full full transparency, like the football team kind of like peaks, gets you super excited, think you really have a chance, and then somehow they just start to crumble. Um, but in hindsight, I think they're better positioned to win a national championship versus Penn State basketball. I mean, I can't remember the last time Penn State made the NCAA tournament. <laughs> so yeah, that's a tough yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually that's actually a good trivia question. Maybe we should have opened up with that. When is the last <laughs> they made the tournament? I don't even know. Um, yeah, we we won the NIT. I want to say 20, 20 I'm looking right now, 2018. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 20, right. And then last tournament appearance was 2011. Before that was 2001. So it's yeah. uh yeah, rough. that's uh, a little yeah, it's easy minute, to but... forget. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> easy to forget. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So football, I agree with you, though. I mean, I mean, obviously, one of the most storied programs of all time. So, yeah. And and what do you got to do? You got to lose one game in the year, probably win the Big Ten championship. I mean, you got a shot. I mean, it's it's it's, it's not doable. easy, though. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's doable. I just feel like they always struggle with Iowa, Ohio State. Michigan like those yeah. three they like one year let's say they they figure Michigan out they beat them twice then they play Ohio State can't win or yeah. they figure out Ohio State and Michigan but can't figure out Iowa so it's it's always that that tug of war with that team it's just like man they can never just like own the Big Ten win the championship outright and, and position themselves for a national championship but it is what it is and it seems like they've made – it seems like James Franklin is the guy, or at least there's there's some faith there. And hopefully on the basketball side, I mean, Micah Shrewsbury's in his first year, and hopefully uh, that, that that can be he, – he can be the coach for uh, for the future as well because it's just – I think it's just been kind of uh, – it looks like pretty much every coach that's been there since like 95 has basically had a 500 record or so. So yeah. <laughs> the basketball side, there's some – there's, there's room for improvement. But um, – but 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 who knows? I actually like the Micah Shrewsbury hire. Kind of came out of left. That field, was a but. that was a for basketball people. They loved it. You know what I mean? It yeah, wasn't yeah. necessarily like this crazy, sexy, splashy hire. You went and got like somebody from I don't know Stanford or UCLA to come to Penn State. But for right. a basketball people, basketball fan, they loved it because the Duke can yeah. coach. The Duke can yeah, just he flat out coach. coach. I think what's next for basketball, and I know it's a little tough, but getting like good at recruiting. I mean, yeah, you're yeah. in the, the state of Pennsylvania, um, obviously Pittsburgh, you got Temple, you got Drexel, um, all these other schools, Villanova, that gets these opportunities for those in-state players. Mm-hmm. I think Penn State needs to position themselves to kind of be in that conversation to get some of those key, just making us a player of the year in the state, you know, getting yeah. McDonald's or American type of players. You know, once they could kind of hone in on that, they'll definitely position themselves um, for a long future. Yeah, totally. And it's funny you said that because I just looked and it pulls up for the 2000, class of 2022. 
they've got the 24th ranked recruiting class in the country so far. They've got some okay. guys. They've got a, we'll take they've that. got a couple Pennsylvania guys. They've got uh, a La Lumiere guy in Indiana. They got a, a Moeller guy in Cincinnati. So um, right. it looks like they're, they're, they're on, on the right track. They've got five guys that are um, five guys signed letter of, letter of intent already. So um, okay. to, to dive into it, obviously we mentioned uh, and you started at Penn state, but for those that don't know, talk as briefly as kind of your career. I know you've been at Turner, you've been at USA Today, to Players Tribune, now New Balance, and and obviously you've had the opportunity to work with some some major companies thus far. Um, it, it seems like you knew exactly kind of where you wanted to go since the start of your career. Maybe that's the case, maybe it isn't. But tell yeah. us a little bit about your career, kind of um, what's what's brought you to where you are today. Um, man, it's, 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 it's tough to summarize it in a brief uh, podcast setting, but I'll do my best to try to keep this under five, 10 minutes. <laughs> um, so graduated Penn State, um, class of 2008, felt like every kid graduating just wanted a job. I mean, it was like anything that came across my desk or, you know, in my inbox, it was like, oh man, this is the perfect job. This is a dream job. And, and, and full transparency, I really didn't know what, what job I wanted kind of thing. Um, I always had a passion to, like, connect with people. Um, I guess it's just something I started to explore as I got further into my college career and, like, you know, group projects, assignments, et cetera. I was just like, yo, I kind of like this group setting. I kind of love interacting with people. I'm like, what is the career path for this type of, like, personality? Um, someone kind of put it on my, my radar. It's like, hey, you should try out marketing sales. You know, that's kind of, like, where the money's at, especially in sales, you know, marketing, you get the chance to do some creative ideas, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, all right, it sounds like something that's possibility. I'm in New York, major market, probably makes the most sense from a media perspective. Sure, this sounds perfect. Let me do it. Um, so going into my last semester, um, I remember one of my colleagues had came back um, from an internship with Turner and they was basically saying, you know, it was the greatest experience ever. You know, they had a great time at the Tom Warner Center in New York. You know, they learned so much, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, all right, this sounds like maybe the opportunity, the route I want to take. Again, just really blindly walking into things, not really knowing exactly what I wanted to do, but I sort of had an idea. So fast forward, I'm in my internship at Turner Sports. I mean, not Turner Sports, just Turner, um, working with CNN. Um, just doing data entry, entry level type of work, getting my feet wet into the industry, learning the ins and outs of the business. Um, from there, I realized like, okay, this is probably something that like I could see myself building a career around, um, just pursuing, you know, opportunities within the space. Um, if you guys recall, 2008 was the recession. So obviously just the job market was suffering, you know, money was kind of like all over the place, like suffering as well. Uh, so it, it quite honestly took me some time to find my first job, but I'll never forget the date. Um, I started my first job at TV One September 30th, 2009. So almost a year after I graduated. Um, never forget that date. That would be like grained in my brain forever. Yeah. <clears throat> um, was at TV One for a couple of years. Um, again, started there as entry level work. Um, was eventually promoted to sales planner. Um, but something in the back of my mind that I always was kind of curious about was digital. And that's in, and at that point, you know, digital was kind of at a space where it was starting to boom and start to grow. Um, I'm sure you guys remember the AOL, um, oh, yeah. screen names, all that type of stuff. Like that was just like, that was like the beginning, of course. I feel like, uh, don't so, you, don't you feel like, I don't know if you're huge into web three, but don't you feel like we're coming all the way back with everybody getting these dot <laughs> eat names? <laughs> It's yes, like, yo, definitely. we're like, we had screen names. We could have just kept those and now right, went through exactly. and roll it, roll it. Yeah, yeah, kept my screen name. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I got, I guess I was just curious about being in digital, understanding digital. It was something new. It was something that I felt like I could grow it. So I felt like I was at a point in my, in my career, you know, I worked at TV One at that point for four years, um, came in entry level, got promoted to a sales planner job, et cetera. I was like, man, this is just, I don't know if this is it. Like, I kind of wanted to stay, like, stay close to the trends. And digital was definitely a trend. Um, so came across the opportunity at Fox Sports, jumped over there for a few months. Um, 
had the opportunity to work um, on MLB and NFL, um, and then a little bit of like their Hispanic market properties, which was like uh, Fox Supporters, which covers soccer, et cetera. So I was really getting like my opportunity to get the full broad end of the spectrum. At the end of the day, I'm a basketball guy at heart. So, I mean, I still love sports, but it was just like, man, it's probably a way I could figure out how to get into basketball. So I just kind of kept my, my ear to the ground, continue to network with people, continue to grow. And from Fox Sports, went over to Disney ABC. Um, probably one of my favorite jobs to date. Um, just the people there uh, was <laughs> very welcoming, um, had the opportunity to just kind of run point, so to speak, and, and manage a business from the ground up. Um, can't remember some of the accounts I worked on, but it was probably like Home Depot, Johnson & Johnson, um, I don't know, whatever, just all these big just brands yeah, across the country. Uh, so this was like, I, I felt like at that point, like, I, right, I'm really in digital. I'm a digital sales planner. I manage a business um, day in and day out. But what is the future of this? Like, it's after a while, it starts to get a little redundant, a little retiring. It's like, all right, I need to try something new. Um, again, me being a, a former intern at Turner, I came across an opportunity at Turner Sports. Um, so I was moved over to back over to Turner, but on the Turner Sports side, um, kind of started working on Bleacher Report before it became Bleacher Report. So it was like a, just a subsidy site for Turner Sports. Um, but I was had the opportunity to kind of manage that business. Um, also worked on NCAA. So obviously with Turner, March Madness was a huge beast. Um, worked on PGA Golf and worked on NASCAR. Again, I started to kind of feel this little fatigue of like you're doing the same thing. You know, it's getting redundant. Like, okay, like, let me, let me, I don't think I really hit home what I really want to do. Let me try another opportunity. So I went from Turner over to USA Today. Um, <laughs> hate to say this, but kind of sold me on a dream. Um, really thought I was going there to work on sports, um, like USA Today Sports. So I was like really excited about that. But once I got there, the reality was I was kind of working on USA Today business. If any of our um, advertisers or clients brought sports, that was sort of my way to work in sports, but it wasn't like the solely responsibility. So I was a little bummed out about that, but I was just like, fine, you know, I'm thankful I have a job. Um, again, you know, I've had experience doing the work and I just wanted to kind of like explore. I got to a point at USA Today, I was like, all right, I worked at a couple different places in the city, major publishers, Disney, ABC, Fox Sports, USA Today. I get it, like different publisher, you know, the work is kind of the same, but just like, man, I don't know. This is just, is this what my future is going to be? Like, this is what <laughs> I'm going to be doing to 65? And I was just like, I don't know if this is really it. So fun story, um, in high school, a lot of people don't know this, but I was a part of a Turn 2 Foundation, yeah. um, where is Derek Jeter's nonprofit organization. Um, so I was a part of that group for four years during high school. I went to Rice High School out in Harlem. Um, and sorry, my dog is like trying to play with me <laughs> as I'm doing this. So, <laughs> good. um, so me being a part of that program in high school, and my wheels start to click like, why well, don't I just leverage and network and you know, use the resources that are right in front of me? Like, I'm still involved with the program, um, to that point every day or like pretty frequently, pretty daily. So, it's like, let me just shoot my shot. Honestly, I, I reached out to Jita's mom. I told her, I was like, hey, you know, I've been working in sports or trying to find my way into sports. I kind of tapped into it a little bit. But, you know, I'm really big fan of Players Tribune. Um, would love an opportunity to meet with some people over there, see what I could bring to the table. And the, and the thing is, you know, with the Players Tribune at that time, they was like a true starter. So they was willing to hire, but they didn't necessarily know for what roles. So it was almost like I needed to show what value I could bring and then figure it out from there. So I think I think we got a pause, man. I think a lot of people were expecting <laughs> you to I think a lot of people were expecting you to be like, yeah, I knew the director or I knew Jose. Nah. I didn't know you knew Jeter's mom. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's that's a name drop that not many people can do. 
Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, again, just thankful, fortunate enough with the resources that I had. You know, I had an opportunity to be a part of that program in high school. Um, thankful to Ms. Lewis. Uh, rest in peace to her. She passed away a couple of years ago. But she was the guidance counselor who basically identified me as like a guide to be a part of this program. And the thing is, you know, with the Turn 2 Foundation at the time, it was still pretty new. So, I, I mean, Jeter, obviously, poster boy of New York City, All-American, standard athlete, so to speak. But it was also an opportunity to kind of like show his wings within the city and like start to build with, you know, inner city uh, kids like myself. Um, just kids who didn't really have the opportunities to, you know, position themselves for success. So that, you know, that program really kind of started to change my eyes. Like, okay, this is really, there's really opportunities outside of being an athlete. You know, you could be a GM, you could be the ball boy, the towel boy, whatever it was, you know, it was just my, my wheels start to turn and start to realize like, okay, I see the sport every day. I watch every day on TV, but the things that are happening around the sport, there are opportunities and there are jobs to make out of those things. So going back forward uh, to the Players' Tribune, you know, again, <laughs> that shameless plug, but, you know, reach out to Jesus' mom. Um, she put me in touch with one of, I want to say, I wouldn't even say he was the hiring manager, but he was basically the general manager of Players' Tribune, uh, a guy named Alex Rose. Um, how how early was this into Players' Tribune? Uh, Players' Tribune might have been three or four years old at that point. Okay. Yeah, it was still relatively young. And, you know, as I go into the story, like they quite honestly didn't have advertisers at that point. You know, they, they might have worked with a few brands on some branded content stuff, but it was still kind of new. Like it was really kind of just funded through the powers that be that G that made connections with. So um, had opportunity to meet with those guys. Um, they didn't really know exactly what, I was bringing to the table, like they knew I knew marketing, they knew I knew sales, they knew I knew clients, but they just couldn't really figure out exactly where I fit. So it took some time, took a couple of actually like, should I would say maybe a year or so um, of me just con connecting with them, staying on top of with them, uh, keeping in touch, networking, just um, checking in basically. Um, <laughs> I got a random email from Alex Rose one day, was like, hey, uh, do you want to come in for this opportunity? Are you still interested? And I was like, uh, sure, why not? Um, he was like, yeah, I can get you in this week. Um, you're going to meet with um, Joe Carney. He was the head of sales and Joe Carney came from MLB. So I was like, okay, cool. This guy gets sports. This is my opportunity to come into sports. Like, okay, I got to nail this. So go in for the interview. And in the back of my mind, being honest, I was like, damn, I got an interview? I was like, you know what? That's cool. I'm going to earn it. I don't want anybody to think that this opportunity was given to me. Like, I'm going to make it be known that, like, you know, I came through the Turn 2 Foundation and Derek Jesus program, but nothing was necessarily handed to me. So I was like, you know what? That's my approach as I go into this process. You know, I'm just going to earn this job. Whatever job it is, I'm just going to earn it. Met with Joe and, like, we just connected right away. Like, I was reading his eyes, his body language. He was just really into what I was saying. And to be honest, I was really just bringing a planning operational standpoint POV to the company that they didn't have. They didn't, they were growing at a point where like they needed to bring brands in to keep the lights on, but yeah. they didn't necessarily know what pieces of the puzzle to make that happen. Yeah, so like I just where, so where do you to, even start? You know, right, yeah. exactly. So, so I kind of came in on helping out with the sales planning process. You know, they had Samsung, Pizza Hut, Showtime, all these other brands, but they didn't necessarily know how to build media plans or like when advertisers go to the website, you know, where these impressions are going. Are there pre roll ads, banner ads? What's the click through rate? What's the CPM, CPV? I'm probably talking stuff that you guys don't know, but <laughs> that was something that the Players' Tribune needed at the time because they quite honestly didn't really know. So came into the Players' Tribune, um, hit the ground running. I'll never forget. My first project was a letter to my younger self with Quinn Richardson. It was wow. a project. Um, and do you guys remember that? Yep. 
Yeah, and that was so that way was a, before his the whole podcast and everything. Way yeah, yeah. Before that, so that project kind of, and I feel like that kind of set up his success with the Players Tribune and started mm-hmm, to open yeah. up those doors to kind of like give him the opportunity. But I'll never forget that project. Um, the show, The Shy, is obviously based in Chicago, so the client wanted to get a guy from Chicago. Of course, Pie in the Sky. They want Kevin Garnett. They want Dwayne Wade. Um, we was actually kind of really close on Jabari Parker at one point. Um, Derek Rose, they wanted all the big names. Um, but the budget was too small to kind of to, to pull that off. So we just like, all right, who's the Chicago guy in network? That makes sense. Somehow we land on Quentin Richardson. And I'll be honest, I wasn't like, damn, this is going to be a home run. It's like, hmm, this Mm, this this has an opportunity to go either direction. It could be really successful or it could go really bad. And I started to think about just social media in general, and I'm getting to the weeds of this a little bit. I told you I'll try to keep this under 10 minutes. No, this is good. The weeds are good. That's what we want. <laughs> but um, I realized that some of these bigger name athletes may not perform as well on social as a guy like Quentin Richardson. No disrespect. He's, you know um, – had tremendous amount of success in the NBA, obviously post-career is doing great. But I was just like, man, I think, you know, people are going to really relate to Dwayne Wade more, Barry Parker, Kevin Garnett. Like these people just, they feel more connected and more relevant. Quinn Richardson was obviously retired. Just it, I don't know. My mom was just like, I don't know if this is really going to work. But then the other part of it was like, but he could really tell a true, authentic Chicago story. He's really from, like, he's from Chicago. He could really make this feel like an authentic kind of thing. Like, it wasn't like, hey, we we want you to post this and we pay you 5K. It was more so like, tell us about your upbringing in Chicago and, like, almost like writing a letter to your younger self. So we went through the process, and, I mean, once the campaign launched, like it was viral. Like every NBA athlete you could think of, like shared it, reposted it, retweeted it, commented. And I was like, oh shit. So it was just like one of those moments, like, wow, okay, this really worked. Like he's not the biggest name, doesn't have the biggest following, but he was able to drive some true engagement from an audience that is just really engraved in the basketball community. And I think it really worked well because, again, he wasn't a paid partner. It was like a really organic opportunity between both parties. Like, again, the Players' Tribune could use him for this project, and I feel like he could have used the Players' Tribune for this project. Mm -hmm. So it was a good partnership at the end of the day. And from there, I was like, okay, this is like what it's like to work in sports. Um, and I was just like, man, I, I can't, like, I'm, I'm feeling good about myself again, yep. three months into my job at the player's tribune, maybe two months. And I'm like, wow, I have like one of the dopest projects of the year. I kind of was just thrown into it and I was able to make this work. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's, let's rock. So from there started to get into more projects. I worked on a project with PMG. It was a call, uh, love mom. It was basically Olympic athletes uh, writing a letter to their mom, um, just thanking them for being their supporter as they, you know, go through an Olympic period. Um, did a couple of campaigns with Subway for NCAA. And I was just like, all right, this, like, I'm starting to get into it. I'm like, all right, this is what it's like to work in sports. And I think where my wheels started to really take off was the Knucklehead podcast. So mm-hmm. um, Q Rich... Just to give you some little context and backstory, Q Rich, Jared Jeffries, and I want to say Al Harrington did a, a podcast. Um, I can't remember the title, but it was like they were just testing it out. And it was pretty cool, but the problem was, I want to say, obviously, Al Harrington lived in L.A., um, Q Rich was in Florida, and I want to say Jared Jeffries was just like making this up, Utah, somewhere like Midwest, somewhere. So the audio was just a little choppy. It wasn't like as a smooth, seamless podcast as, you know, some of what we've seen today. Like it was, it was cool, but it was just like, do these guys even know each other? Like, I don't know. It just felt real. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. you would kind of look at it like, 
what's the connection between these three? Like it just, yeah. it wasn't the, the proper sync. So again, with the success of Q Rich and his letter to my younger self, it's like, yo, D Miles is my neighbor. Like, let's maybe let's highlight D Miles, like kind of thing. It was like, D Miles, like I know who D Miles is, but does the today's consumer know who D Miles is? <laughs> I'm like, another head scratcher for me. Like, mm, I don't really know, but let's do it. Like, I it like nothing that we've done before really bit us in the ass. So I was just like, let's just keep shooting. Like, let's just keep going. So somehow Q Rich is able to sell in D Miles and the birth of the Nugget podcast begun. Um, I remember we launched the series, so to speak, um, at All-Star Weekend in Charlotte 2019, um, where our first episode was Allen Iverson, Kyle Lowry, and Gary Payton. And I was like, okay, this is not, like... Not it, bad. Yeah, not bad at all. And I was like, okay, <laughs> this is this is like... And the thing is, like, as we going through the process of, like, getting the podcast going... Q Rich is selling us a dream. Now, I'm going to be honest. I think he's just talking shit. Like, yo, I could get Michael Jordan. I could get Shaq. I could get this person. I could get this person. I'm like, whatever. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, whatever. But I'm like, no, he was Jordan brand. He is pretty respected. <laughs> and like some of the names that he was throwing around, I was like, okay, I could see how he could get to this person. The Kobe, like he threw out Kobe. At first, I was like, Kobe, but he was able to get Kobe recipes before he passed. But I was like, okay, like he really got these great relationships with people. So I was like, okay, this is really going. This is like, I feel like this is like, I was, I wouldn't say I was flying high, but like, I was like feeling really good about like the work I've been doing at the place. Um, funny story, a guy who was a brand director over at Hennessy, I don't know if you guys remember, but the first couple of seasons of um, Knuckleheads podcast was sponsored by Hennessy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm looking at the 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 uh, <laughs> the still images now. You got a bottle of Henny right in the in the middle of the table. Yeah, and all. exactly. Yep. <laughs> so it was. I mean, obviously, Hennessy being a partner was like made perfect sense. I mean, at the end of the day, it was barbershop talk. Um, I mean, they consume responsibly, of course, on camera, off camera, etc. But my my point was, um, I met a guy who was a brand director at, at Hennessy. And somehow we just connected. He was from New York. I was from New York. I went to Rice. He went to Christ the King. So we both played in like the Catholic high school era. Um, I mean, I played with Abyssinian, Little Bit Riverside. Kind of just played whoever gave me the opportunity. He was really big in the Riverside. But like we had like a lot of synergies between people that we knew. So we exchanged numbers and just sort of kept in touch reached out to me randomly a couple months after the launch in Charlotte. It's like, hey, you know, I left Hennessy, went over to this agency called The Robot Company. You know, we're doing some pretty cool things over here. Love to, you know, peak your interest. See, it was like, check your temperature and see like, you know, what are you thinking? I'm like, The Robot Company. And then I'm like, agency? I'm like, I work with agencies every day. I'm like, I don't want to do this shit. But I was like, (laughs) And then I'm like, the robot company, I'm trying to Google it, and I'm sure you guys probably will too, can't find anything on it. I'm like, what the hell is the robot company? <laughs> you might find a sentence or two that says like, CEO, Maverick Carter, LeBron James, yeah. something. So I was like, oh, shit. Okay, this might be some really cool thing. So I was like, all right, let me, uh, let, like, I was still pretty good at the Players' Tribune. Like, I wasn't necessarily, like, reaching or looking for opportunity. But again, this is part of the industry. It's like, you got a network and you know, if opportunity comes up, gotta gotta bite at it. So we went out to lunch. He was telling me about the robot company, some of the clients that they were working with. New Balance happened to be a client. And at this point, New Balance was like kind of re-emerging into basketball. Um, There's a couple other brands that he was uh, working with, Sprite, IW Hopper. Brooklyn Nets was supposed to be a client of ours. So like, I was like, all right, this like, this sounds pretty cool. I never really done agency work before, to be honest, not sure if I really want to just because of the grind. But I was like, ah, man, Maverick Carter, LeBron, sports, <laughs> like, I kind of got to take this opportunity. Like, I, I kind of got to do it. So went in the interview, landed the job jumped over to the robot company and like I said our first client was New Balance so 
New Balance at that point, I'm going to say 2019 was their first year getting into basketball. And, you know, our goal was to help help them kind of penetrate that market. Obviously, Nike and Adidas of the world is pretty prominent and dominant in that category. But New Balance is just something new and refreshed. I believe Puma um, was getting into the category around the time as well. So it was just like, all right, let's let me. I like that. I like kind of taking opportunities and growing with it. And that's what I saw with going over to uh, Robot and working with New Balance or working on a New Balance client. Um, so I was like, okay, new client, growing the basketball agency, kind of secret society. If you know, you know, kind of thing. But also yeah. growing in the city. I'm like, all right, let's let's just rock. Let's let's do this. Get to New Balance. I mean, sorry, get to Robot Company, and um, we kind of our first project was putting together. Um, a pop-up shop in Los Angeles to celebrate Kawhi returning back home. So this was after he won the championship with the Raptors and part of the way is to go to the Clippers. So we were basically tasked to create somewhat of a homecoming, like uh, something to celebrate him returning back to, to Los Angeles, but in doing so, introducing new balance um, basketball. We came up with this idea, Kawhi's Funhouse. It was a pop-up shop in partnership with Shoe Palace. Um, had these different pretty cool touch points that, I mean, Kawhi was kind of like at his peak at that point. The fun guy stuff was like oh, yeah. popping. Yeah. Um, I mean, we kind of just played into that. And he's like, okay, fun house, fun guy. Like, let's just, let's just, let's keep it while it's hot. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, get, let's, continue to, let's continue the role. So... Did the project, again, killed it, client was happy. Um, year go by, All-Star Weekend, Chicago kind of had a little input on that. Um, not so much, but not how we wanted to, but still was like, okay, just still feeling really part of the, the New Balance family. And I wasn't even like an employee. I was just like an agency partner. Mm-hmm. Um, Transparently, things just really didn't go how I planned with Robot. Um, they actually, like, started to kind of revamp the entire org, like, got rid of a couple of people that I was really close to. Um, so it just felt, it just, it was just, something wasn't sitting well with me. And I was just like, all right, this is not, <laughs> like, here we go again. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I've been through this rodeo a couple of times, like, just that gut feeling, Something just wasn't right. And I was like, all right, this it's, it's everything that glitters and gold. So I was like, all right, this might be the opportunity to just like maybe move on and like figure out what I want to do next. But it was also a weird point because I'm like, I worked at every, it feels like I worked at every publisher in the city. Any other publisher I go to is gonna probably feel very similar. Um, I mean they have their own way, but it's just like, man, I don't know. Like it just wasn't it. <sighs> <laughs> I remember coming across some LinkedIn posts where they was hiring for basketball. And I was like, oh, shit. And I looked at it and I paused. And I, I said to myself, I'm like, I know this brand pretty well. I know the client pretty well. There's a good chance if I apply for this role, I could probably get it. Like, I was really like, I'm yep. not the cockiest guy like not going to talk shit like whatever but like i just knew like i i feel like i was like okay i can really get this role so if i go for it i gotta be comfortable with the process moving to boston which i'm in now like like it was just it was basically a complete career change from going from the publisher world to working at the usa today's player tribune to going on the brand side Yep. So I was like, all right, I'm up for the challenge. Let's rock. Went through the interview process. It felt like a year, but I think they put me through the ropes. Like I had five interviews. Um, I want to say, shit, the process was like maybe three or four months. Yeah. And finally got, yeah, finally got the offer. And I was like, whew. So now we're here. Started at New Balance, um, top of 2021, going on a year next month in January. But just, it's been a hell of a ride. I mean, every day is something new. I mean, again, I kind of came into a job in a role that, like, 
was completely new. I never worked for a brand before, never worked in the footwear industry. But I just felt like there were things that I could bring to, to the table and a skill set that I had that like it could translate. Like if I pin my mind to it and like I'm a grind, I'm going to learn it. Like I, some days I just like I can't even sleep unless I get some work done or just I want to read through something or just make sure I understand something. So that was kind of like that's just me as a personal uh, person. But that was like my reality as well. Like every day it was something new. Um, so, natural curiosity. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 So a year in now we're here. So, yeah, I mean, that's just such an interesting way to transition to a job, right? Like you're basically you're you're working with them, alongside them, for them already as when you're right. on the agency side. And so you it's kind of interesting where you're able to take that perspective and then get hired by them. So I think let's start with like, in your opinion, what was New Balance's motivation to get back into basketball? You know, because to compete with the Goliaths, like that's you got to have money, you got to have players, you got to have brand awareness, you got to have everything's got to look good. Like I have three pairs of New Balances right now. They're not basketball. I'll tell you that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like. So and and New Balance had such a good brand already that I, mm-hmm. I guess it's like interesting. Like, why take that challenge on? So I think what people, well, I wouldn't say fail to realize, but I think the challenge is more so in order for New Balance to position themselves as a truly global brand, they needed to dominate the global sports. Mm-hmm. So track and field, they feel pretty good about. We, have some pretty good Olympians, you know, Sidney McLaughlin, et cetera, Trayvon. Like, we have some pretty good guys under our belt. Soccer, another global sport that we felt pretty good about. I mean, obviously, it's not a big thing in North America, but when you go outside this country, you know, soccer, football, so to speak, is a very big sport. And the other sport was basketball. I mean, NFL football, our North American football isn't as big in other countries. Mm-hmm. But basketball is basketball translate in every country of the world. It was you could see how the NBA was positioning themselves as a global brand. So for New Balance, it was like for us to be considered one of the top, you know, athletic global brands in the world. We got to make sure we are in those sports. So, like I said, track and field was already cemented. Um, soccer was another one. And then basketball. So it was like, all right, cool. Let, let's go. Um Obviously, he came out the gate. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but our first athlete was Darius Baisley um, when he did the million-dollar internship that Rich Paul had brought to us. Um, And then the second guy was Kawhi. Um, So Darius will always kind of be the guy who started it, but, like, the home run hit was Kawhi. And I think it was just timing. I mean, Kawhi was at the end of his Jordan brand deal. Uh, Don't know what that relationship was like, but I think he saw the opportunity that everyone else saw, like, I could come in, be the face of this brand. I could really grow with the brand. I mean, I don't know what the Jordan brand roster was like at the time, but you got to think about it. Um, it's competitive. Like, you're probably not going to be a face of brand athlete, probably not going to have your own shoe, commercials. Like, all that stuff is head scratches. When you come to New Balance, you are the man. You have your own line, apparel line, um, signature shoe line. We'll create moments around you. You'll be front and center of the of the category and the brand. And I think from Kawhi's point of view, he probably like shit. That makes a ton of sense. Like, mm-hmm. why not? Like, who that's a good that's a good sales pitch. I mean, that works. That's a yeah. great sales pitch, right? Exactly. It's like who doesn't want to be the man and have a brand pushing them behind them. So yep. I I don't know this for sure, but I think Kawhi looked at it as an opportunity. Like, I'm growing with the brand. Um, just as much as they're growing with me, it's a true partnership. They're new in the basketball. I want to help them grow. It was just the right mix. So it, it obviously is working now. I want to say we're going on four years in. Uh, but you know, the first couple of years was obviously rocky, just learning the basketball business, uh, learning, you know, what we can and cannot do, which is why the partnership with the NBA was such a big thing because. You know, now we can leverage NBA IP within our creative marketing assets. Prior to an NBA deal, we couldn't. So they were just small things that made a ton of sense. But ultimately, um, to answer your question, I think New Balance felt like 
in order for us to position ourselves as a, a true global brand, we have to have those three major sports. So, so when are. you, so when you sign a player like Kawhi, that to me, like how I look at it, that's like the top down decision. And then there's like the bottom up, like, like the grassroots scene, AAU high school. Like, so what do you do? Cause naturally that does trickle down where kids right. will just be like, Oh, I want the Kawhis. So it's, it, right. you know what I mean? Everyone understands that. But then what do you do from either a coach's perspective at the grassroots level or high school teams are like fitting though? Like, is that a strategy as well? How does that work? So that's something that's somewhat growing and evolving. Obviously with this year with the NIL and, you know, high school athletes are getting paid and NCAA athletes are getting paid. It's something that the brand, the category is starting to pay attention to more um, grassroots is obviously how Nike and Adidas kind of get their players in my perspective. You know, yep. you start with the ABCD camp with Adidas and you, they go to Adidas college. You're almost like, ah, right, you position yourself to sign with Adidas. Yep. Nike All-American camp, you go to Duke, whatever. After you leave there, you kind of position yourself to form the Nike tree. So it's like, okay, now I, I think New Balance is aware of that we are aware of that let me not say i think we are aware of that but what we do is completely different we're very more strategic um we i think we full transparency understand we're not nike adidas of the world we don't have that type of money we don't have that type of resources but we could do things differently that really make an impact so again darius basley for example he was a guy who was brought to us as like, hey, you know, he committed to Syracuse, but decommitted. <clears throat> committed to the G League, decommitted. I think he was just at the point like he really just didn't want to go to school, which is fine. School isn't <laughs> every, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the brains behind that experience was like, okay, what's a way we could keep this guy relevant? gain some knowledge and experience that position him ahead of anybody his age going into the NBA draft or just anybody 18 years old to get that type of experience. Like, and then he's a pro athlete at that. We could, you know, have him training at facilities in Boston, just keeping his game intact. The problem was no college. I mean, no NBA pro scouts is checking for him. So it's almost kind of, you got to, walk with a leap of faith so with yeah. Darius case it was just like something doing doing something that was just so untraditional and so different like it was never done before there, there's no other million dollar internship so mm-hmm. that was kind of once we broke that barrier we understood how to make our way in the space it was like we can't spend millions of dollars a year like Nike like we can't do the Christmas ads like that's just not us but we could do things strategic and groundbreaking that would just sort of shift the culture forward and just kind of open up new doors. It's actually the perfect transition because the the two questions I had kind of lined up was, um, and very rarely do we see unique collaborations like what New Balance and what you guys recently launched with with Rich Paul. And yeah. obviously, for for those that don't know, Rich Paul being the head of clutch sports group and honestly becoming probably, I mean, one of, if not the, the biggest agent in the NBA landscape. And obviously you see brands, you've got obviously players, you've got um, even coaches, you've got celebrities, um, but a figure in himself, that's, it's pretty unique um, from the business side. What kind of spawned that idea um, for not just a rich Paul shoe, but that whole rich Paul co- collection? Yeah. Um, great question. Um, People ask me that all the time, given that, like, I kind of worked on that project. I was going to say, yeah. Day in and day out. Um, I think what what was so unique about that was, like, obviously players get their own signature shoe, um, but an agent never has. Like, this is, like, first of its kind. And we realized, you know, the power that Rich Paul had in sports, not only basketball, but like now he's getting into football. He has UTA behind him. Like he was just coming a major superstar figure in the industry. And it was like, I wouldn't say it was like, we sat in a room and like, Oh, let's just, let's come up with this wild idea and get Rich Paul a shoe. 
But as time went on, we started to realize the importance of doing things that's so untraditional and so different. And I think when the NCAA came out with the Rich Paul rule, it was like, oh shit, this guy is like really changing the culture. Like he's like, you got organizations creating rules around him. That's pretty mm-hmm. disruptive crazy. if you ask me. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty disruptive. So that was kind of like the spin ball of like, okay, this guy's doing stuff disruptive. I wouldn't say, again, I want, I'm not going to say and say like he sat in the room, but like, oh, let's give him a shoe. But it just started to make a lot more sense. Like 550 was is obviously one of our hottest shoes of the year, if not arguably the hottest shoe of the year. But like to partner with a guy of Rich Paul's stature, it was like, man, like this is going to upset a lot of people because they like, this guy got his shoe. Like he's just a, he's LeBron's agent. He's he's like he's just an agent. But that's also the point. Doing things that are different. Like yeah, no one else, no other brand stepped up to the plate and wanted to give an agent a shoe. We did, and that's how we kind of created the noise. And I mean, Rich is obviously a good partner for us. I mean, Darius Baisley's a clutch sports athlete. Dejounte Murray's a clutch sports athlete. So we had like a good partnership um, with him and with his team. But in hindsight, me coming from the robot company, I kind of knew what a lot of those guys represent and like what um, what they they what they live up to. And like I'll never forget this. Mav told me this one day. He was in the office just kicking it, whatever. And he was like, the one thing I always said about my career, like when I die. He was afraid that he on his tombstones, it was going to be like LeBron James friend, LeBron James friend. Like wow. that, like yeah. that, that kind of like really messed with him. Yeah. And I realized that about that that crew, the four horsemen, Rich, Randy, Mav, yep. and LeBron. Um, especially for Mav and Rich, that's they don't want to be that. They don't want to be like, oh, LeBron James friend. They want to be respected as their own individual. So mm-hmm. In order to create that separation and identity, they had to do these things. So again, Mav, you know, Spring Hill Company CEO, like has all his business ventures, and then Rich on the agency side, Clutch Sports, you know, have his athletes and his team. And it was like now they're kind of growing into their own individual brand and their own individual figure. So it made a ton of sense. Um, again, in hindsight, it wasn't like you sat in the room was like, yo, let's, what's the craziest idea we could do? <laughs> it was just like, as time went on, we started to realize um, the importance of like what he was doing in the industry and like how groundbreaking and how much he was just really shifting the diagram. Again, in my mind, it, I think the light bulb hit when they created the NCAA baseball rule. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure in other places, people's mind, you know, maybe there was other moments that made more sense. So, um, totally. I mean, that was a, a total unique partnership. Uh, great launch, successful launch, shoe, apparel sold out. Like, everyone was happy. So, um, it's, it's, it's it, awesome. It, it, Everyone's yeah, happy except, I, except myself who couldn't get my hands on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, those the, things uh, are, you're not they fine. Are, they're, they're so clean. And and the, and the it's funny. I know I read an article earlier today, Complex, saying Rich Paul's why his New Balance collab is bigger than himself. And the one thing that I think is so unique to, not even just about what you guys do with Rich Paul, but just New Balance in general um, as a company, the collaborations, the limited releases, um, whether it be certain streetwear brands or stores, whether it's a Kith or Bodega or Ame, the, 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 the collection with Ame is, is incredible. How does that help elevate the brand and, and kind of like in, in tune with what you said about um, the uniqueness of, of the, the rich uh, collaboration? Um, how does that kind of uh, create that, 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 that differentiator within, uh, within the space? So, Again, I will. I hate to compare, but you'll realize, you know, making a Nike of the world. They are, they're doing the Travis Scott's, the Sean Weatherspoons. Like, they're mm-hmm. doing these different collabs that are really kind of, like, honing in with the culture and the community. 
And it was like, okay, what's New Balance spin on that? And again, not sitting here and to say like we sat in a room, it was like, okay, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. But it was more so like, we have a plethora of like different footwear models. I mean, it took me a while to understand like 550, 574, 5740, 9000. Like there's just so many different number models. So I mean, New Balance was just like, you know, what is our opportunity to kind of really connect with the culture? And partnering with a, a Maylion Door, a Kif, was those culture connected tissues. Again, these are partnerships and partners that are natural fits. You know, Kif mm-hmm. and Amelia on Door like sold New Balance apparel, like they sold sneakers and footwear and stuff like that. Um, and some people be like, "Well, they they also sell Nike," but which is true. But to get a collab with Nike, you probably got to sit in line for the next ten years. You know what I'm saying? Versus like yeah. a New Balance collab, you probably you'll likely get a little bit more creative say um your shoe will get out a lot quicker and i mean to be honest i just think you know it was just something new and refreshing like sneakers app i think it was it kind of worked in our favor you know the feedback that people were just speaking about the shoe i mean about the app in the industry like it was just tough to get any sort of collab um, or just any of the hottest sneakers. And I think New Balance has seen it as an opportunity. It's like, okay, like we we got some pretty dope collabs. We got some pretty cool yep. influencers and partners. Like we could play in, in this space too. We could probably do it better just given our connection to the culture. For example, a guy like Joe Fresh Goods. I mean, his, you know, ever since we started working with him, not to say like we got him hot, but like it was a mutual beneficial partnership. Like he helped us grow we helped him grow you know like and i think we opened the doors for him to do a 7-eleven collab a converse collab whatever it was and it also opened the doors for us to do a date collab or stone stone island collab all these other mm-hmm. just different partners so i it's, it's never a world where it's like we're selfish and it's like oh it's all about us it's more so just like how do we help each other like and, and everything that we, we operate is just under a true partnership so it really came down to like, what are these hot street rail brands? Where are the opportunities? And like, let's pin the pin, let's put the pen to paper and like see what we could do. And again, because of the line uh, plethora of footwear shoes that we have, you know, someone could do a 550, someone could do a 574, 5740, 990. You know, there's 990 V1 through 990 V6 that's coming out in 2020. So there's hmm. opportunities. And I don't know, New Balance was just always like that clean, like historic kind of clean cut brand, American brand. So I think it oh, just yeah. it just connected to the culture and it just made sense. Talk to us about the other guys, NBA guys that you've added to the roster now, Jamal Murray, Aaron Naismith. How did those come about? And is the is the plan to continue to sign guys in the future? One by one, yeah. slowly? Is there going to be like a what do you what, what's the what's the strategy there? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, great question. So yes, the plan is to definitely grow the roster. Um, I mean, we've been talking to guys this season about bringing on a couple of guys onto the brand. Um, can't say any names on camera, but you know, there are a couple of guys that like are on our, on our radar. Um, so we definitely want to grow the roster. Um, in reality, we'll never have a roster of 20 people. It will quite honestly be 10, maybe eight. I mean, we're a roster of five right now with Kawhi, Jamal, Darius, DeJounte, and Aaron maybe sign another player or two this year then another player like we just really want to kind of do things in a strategic lens so i mean yes they the plan is to grow the roster but it's not to sign players just to sign players like they mm-hmm. all have to make sense um they all have to really embody the ethos of what new balance represent you know family oriented brand um a brand that believes in the employees, their athletes, their ambassadors, and influencers, et cetera. And also just opportunity. I mean, I think a lot what a guy like Jamal, I mean, no disrespect to Adidas, but 
that that roster is pretty loaded. Donovan Mitchell got his own shoe. Derrick Rose. Um, I'm blinking. Um, Zach Levine is on that roster. Uh, it's hmm. a couple of James Harden's on that roster. Damian Lillard on that roster. All these are all guard dominant kind of players, and it's yeah. like he probably got to wait his turn a while to kind of really get his opportunity to shine there. They just signed Jalen Green, who I'm sure they have plans for in the near future. So I think it was just getting crowded, and he looked at the opportunity with New Balance. It's like, yo, again, I could come into a category or a brand and really grow. And, I mean, with Jamal, he's just, like, he's down for whatever. Like, he's really into it. It's not even like we signing him a check and, like, he's on his way. Like, we have calls, and, like, he's really involved with the creative. He'll have feedback. He'll, like, hey, how don't we, why don't we do this? Or do you mind if I say this? Or can I switch my lines up to this? And we're like, yo, that's exactly <laughs> what you want. We don't want to spoon feed you everything. We want you to really be involved because at the end of the day, we are partners to help grow your brand. So, I mean, Jamal has been amazing partner to work with. I mean, he's truly invested with the brand. Unfortunately, he's injured right now. So it's been a little tough to really – show what we want to do with him but like he's a guy who again coming off the bubble one of the hottest players in the league um just an opportunity to kind of really just live and breathe the ethos of what new balance basketball uh, represents and he was just like a perfect fit you know it, it made it made all the sense in the world what is um i'm sure there's a million things when i ask this question that'll run through your head but uh maybe with this filter on, uh, the question may get, the answers may get smaller. What is one thing you can share uh, <laughs> that, that something is big or, or w- whether it's an event or an athlete or a strategy or something shifting, what's, what's happening in 2022 with New Balance? That's, that's uh, shareable. <laughs> that's shareable. Um, 550s are coming. <laughs> okay. So we, oh, yeah. there's more 550s are coming. I, we, we realize um, the, the desire for consumers to have the shoe. Um, I think it's, it's a pretty healthy growth with a brand. I mean, like it was basically reintroduced last year and like, it's like the, again, people hit me up all the time. Like, Oh, can you get this person five fifties? Oh, you got the fifties in this size. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's it right now. It's the it thing. So yeah, definitely more five fifties are coming. Um, we have the 650s with AOD that's coming as well. So I can speak on that. I believe they teased it um, earlier this year. Um, Teddy Santos is coming over to New Balance to join the May team. So the apparel is going to look very elevated and elite. Um, return for Kawhi. I mean, we we're excited for that if it happens this year or next year. Uh, but when he does return, we definitely going to make a splash. Um I mean, we just, we, we locked and loaded. I mean, we, we ready. <laughs> we ready for everything right now. I wouldn't say everything, but we're we're planning against all major moments. Um, I mean, All-Star is going to be a tough one, um, given Kawhi's not playing, Jamal's probably not playing. But, you know, it, we, we still have our ears to the ground and trying to, you know, figure out the right partnership for another athlete. So, you know, 2022, hopefully another athlete join the roster. We continue to grow that that person's brand. But um, is this really growth? I mean, we had a great year. Uh, I believe we won athletic brand of the year two years in a row by Footwear News. So um, the Love hard it. work is, yeah, the hard work is definitely um, being noticed. And, you know, let's see if we get three people. I mean, I, I think we oh, yeah. Can, uh, yeah, I feel pretty good about how we're positioned going into 2022, which is, I mean, quite honestly, COVID and factory delays has derailed a lot of our plans for 2021, but that, that just puts us in success for 2022. So what I mean by that is like a, <laughs> a shoe that could have launched in 2021 is now being held to 2022. And that's just, gives us a better runway to create more hype, more energy, more marketing, get yep. more brand supporters involved. So um, it's going to be another good year. I'm excited about it. Um, I just can't wait for people to see some of the work that we have in stores. I will say awesome. the next the next big moment for the brand will likely be Black History Month. Um, we got nice. a pretty cool campaign coming around. That. And that's just not a basketball campaign. That's just like a, a brand category campaign. So 
I'm excited for the world to see that one. Um, that's going to be a campaign that will not only live in Black History Month, but basically live throughout the year. So um, I won't speak much on that, but uh, that would be the next big one that uh, I'm excited for the world to see. Nice. That's awesome. And I think probably the best way to, to wrap this up, obviously we mentioned it earlier, um, kind of how we all met. I mean, back in the day before <laughs> COVID and we used to voluntarily wake up at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> to go to Equinox on the Upper East Side to hoop. Um, shout to, three, to, to Jose. Three subways, three subways. <laughs> three subways. Yeah. And, 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 and obviously being able, and, and you mentioned early on, just being able to connect with people and build relationships and meet people why, how, why do you think basketball is such a, a great way to, to bring people together? Well, one, definitely shout out to Jose for putting that together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get some credit. I mean, it was a pretty aggressive to play 630 in the morning, but uh, it was, and, it was and cool. for him to somehow, it was free. It was I mean, free. He got it for really free. Really finessed um, it. I mean, that Equinox yeah. was charging like, $5,000 to Upper East Side schools who didn't have gyms to come play there. And we were playing there yeah. for free. For free. So shout out to Jose for yeah. that. Whenever you check this out, you got your shout out. <laughs> but um, um, I don't know. Basketball is just like, a, it's a community sport. I mean, like even growing up as a kid, I mean, it was just a way for everyone to come together. Like I think about <laughs> growing up. So I grew up in St. Nick Projects in Harlem, um, 131st 8th Avenue, building 260. But I always remember, like, we had this thing called Cans Classic. So I don't know, as a kid, the garbage can, we used to shoot hoops in that. We we made a tournament out of it. And, like, we had supporters from under buildings and, like, we, like, put our money together to give out a trophy. So it was just basketball was just something that just, like, always brought a community and fun together. I mean – you see it now when you watch the games and the fans. I mean, sometimes it can be a little over the top, but it's just a way to bring people together. And, like, I always just enjoy that. Like, you know, whenever I come play ball, which I haven't played since those Upper East Side days, which is pretty crazy. Yep. Um, but mm. it's just, like, a way just to kind of, like, let your hair down, so to speak, forget about whatever stress is going on in your life and just – come together for some fun, competitive fun. You know, I think at the end of the day, we all want to win, but, you know, we all want to do it in a playful and fun way. So um, for me, it's just a way that, you know, bringing a, a community of people together in a, in a positive, delightful way. Yeah, I think what was awesome about that run, too, is that, you know, Jose was pretty, like, selective about who he was having come. <laughs> Not Very only from selective. not and I don't even mean from a basketball point of view, because we had people on like the entire spectrum in terms of like talent, but everybody yeah. could everybody could get up and down. You know what I mean? Like that was right, 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 the, right. the baseline. But like afterwards, people would just talk, you know, and I think that was what Jose was looking for. And he was like, hey, look, like this is yeah. actually a networking and basketball and relationship building thing. And I, I remember Jose saying like, oh yeah, he got a job from here and he like, it happened. Right. So <laughs> yeah, the, it, it worked. Yeah. It worked. No, it definitely worked. And credit to Jose for that one, because um, like you said, it was like a community of people who worked in the sports industry that we didn't know mm-hmm. and was just bringing us all together and creating the opportunities. I'm sure. I mean, obviously I met you guys there, but like, I'm sure other people who played, made connections, you know, whether it led to a job opportunity, whatever it may be, um, it was just bringing people together who worked in the industry. So, I mean, I I quite honestly miss it, especially being in Boston because uh, I haven't really played ball like that. But, um, I mean, kudos to Jose. I mean, it was a pretty brilliant, like, thing that he had going for a couple months. So, I wish uh, wish we could keep it going, but unfortunately, COVID – dismissed it and you know the rest is history yeah the rest is history hey do you wear that hat out a lot in boston or is that i a, do is that an indoor hat <laughs> <laughs> and i'm apologize my computer might die in the middle of this i got all right we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up we're gonna wrap it up but yes i wear this hat everywhere I go. <laughs> everywhere i go in boston everyone asks me like yo you crazy for wearing a hat but like be honest i went out to dinner with my girl a couple weeks ago a couple yeah weeks ago and like we went to the spot and it was Yankee hats all over the place. And I was like, shit, like, okay, <laughs> very interesting. So I would not expect I that. 
same. So I don't think the the New York Boston rivalry hate is as at its peak how it was. Yeah. You know, with the Red Sox and Yankees competing. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely get a couple of side eyes. I mean, people say, say slick shit to me, like, oh, you're wearing a Yankee hat, you gotta wait. You know, just slick <laughs> stuff. But like, um, yeah, I, it's not it's not terrible how, how people may think. So I wear uh, pridefully in the office whenever I go to the office, I go to the grocery store, wherever I go and I'm out in public, this Yankee hat will be worn. So. I love it. <laughs> exactly. I love it, man. Well, yes. listen, Nigel, we'll get you out of there on that, man. We appreciate you coming on. Um, Ian and I will send you our shoe sizes. So when those. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get in line. We'll get in line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. This was great. And uh, awesome, man. Yeah. Good luck with everything in 2022. And we'll talk with you soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll see what I can do to get you guys some soft pictures. <laughs> so yeah, definitely send that over. <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate awesome, you. Lately, I've been feeling like this what I've been working towards.